so we are resolved to walk by faith and not by sight, as countless brothers and sisters have done before us, and as they are walking right now with us around the world by faith. Well, the Word says that it's by the Word that faith comes and grows. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. So says Paul in Romans 10. So after singing that song, we turn to hear this word. You can see in your bulletin that we're back to 2 Samuel 22. We're making our way lately through this chapter, this poem. It's a poem in which David praises God for delivering him. Among other things, it's a poem that tells us again what God is like. It also tells us a little bit about what David was like. And that's what we saw last week. Quick reminder here before we keep going and keep reading today. Last week was verses 21 down through 31. We learned a little bit about David's integrity. Remember in verse 21 he says, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, He rewarded me, David's integrity. Not that he lived a sinless life, not even that his best moments were entirely sin-free, but simply that he could say that he'd lived a life that was largely a life of devotion to God. That was true. The Bible tells us that. Including exercising self-control in those moments when he must have been fiercely tempted to work deliverance for himself in a sinful way he did not. He held fast. He walked in righteousness, and God honored him for it. God vindicated him. God delivered him. So we learned a little bit last week about David's integrity. Second, we learned a little bit about God's character. What's this God like who delivered David like that? Well, with the merciful, David says, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. And he went on from there. In other words, there's something fitting about the ways God deals with people. He deals with them in a way that matches what they're like toward him. It fits. It matches God's character. And then finally, third last week, we learned a little bit about rejoicing in the Lord because we listened in as David did just that. Verse 29, he says, For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. This God who's so glorious, as David has just described, David could say, he's mine. He's my God. And I'm his worshiper. I'm his servant. And David wasn't the only one. Because David also said, remember verse 31, this God is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. So that's the ground we covered last week, verses 21 through 31 especially. David's integrity, God's character, rejoicing in the Lord. And that leads us right into where we pick up today, beginning at verse 32, and we're going to keep going. David says, this God is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Well, David did. David did. Find refuge in God, and God was exactly that for him. He was a shield. He was his protector. And David's going to go on to reflect further on that. I'll pick up at verse 32 and read through 
to verse 46. So listen now to the word of God, 2 Samuel 22, beginning at verse 32. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them. I thrust them through so that they did not rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, those who hated me, and I destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord. But he did not answer them. I beat them fine as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with my people. You kept me as the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. Foreigners came cringing to me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. So this is the word of God, and so it's true. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do thank you for your word, which is certainly true, because it is yours, and you are truth and the God of truth. We pray that you would impress your truth deeply upon our hearts again. Grant us to understand it, and in that understanding to love it, and to rise and show forth that love in grateful obedience. We thank you for Christ. Our hope is in him, and our prayer is in his name. Amen. It is not an exaggeration to say that in many ways these have felt like extraordinarily stressful time these, times these days. I mean, for us as a country, February of 2020 seems like such a quaint time now, doesn't it? When you think about everything that's happened since then. Everything that we've been up against over the past few years, the trials that have tested us, the tumult that has shaken us. And here we are, June of 2022, and things still feel rather stressful and trying and tumultuous, and God only knows what the future holds, including the next few months, I mean, including this summer. It's almost like the average price of gas has become a symbol of our national troubles and tensions. It keeps going up, and it doesn't look like it's going to come down 
anytime soon. I guess we can tell ourselves at least we don't live in California, but that's cold comfort. And we all know it's not just for for us as a country. We feel these things personally. We've got to deal with them and a host of other stresses and trials and tumults on a personal level as individuals, as families, as a church, as a community. It hasn't been easy on any level. And, and let's be honest, let's, be not, let's not be nostalgic in a rosy way, even before all of this, even if you can go back to February of 2020. Even then, life in this present evil age has always been hard. And all of this has the effect of bringing out of us what are certain fundamental human longings that reside deeply inside of us. In the face of stresses and trials and turbulence of all shapes and sizes, there are two things in particular that we long for, that we even ache for, that I've been thinking about lately. Whether it's a global pandemic or the price of gas or the fear of violence or the worsening of civil relationships. In the midst of all of that, there are these two things in particular that we long for. Two things that we want to be able to tell ourselves so as to be reassured. One is, I've got what it takes to face this. And the other is, in the end, it's going to be all right. Those two. Again, the first is, I've got what it takes to face this. In other words, I've got the resources, I've got the wherewithal to handle this. I know how to handle this. And the second is, in the end, it's going to be all right. In other words, in the end, one way or another, it's going to work out. It's going to be better than all right. Because what I've come to believe in, what I've come to hope for, somehow it's going to prevail. Somehow it's going to win out. And I will not have been a fool for counting on it. Don't we long for those twin points of reassurance? Don't we ache for that, those two? That sort of thing's already been on my mind lately, lately because of what these days have been like. And then sure enough, I turn to 2 Samuel 22. And there's David. There's David reflecting upon how the Lord had dealt graciously with him in the face of seemingly insurmountable trials. And in our passage, you've got those twin points of reassurance practically leaping off the page. Because David could reflect upon his own past experience, including deep valleys that he went down into and fearsome enemies that he had to face. And he could say both of these things. He could say, one, in God's grace, I've had what it takes to face whatever he's brought my way. And two, thanks to that same grace, I have prevailed. I've prevailed and I can be confident 
that I will to the end. So here are these two longings that reside deeply within our own souls. And here's David expressing himself remarkably, poetically, in a way that brings both of those longings to the fore. Because David can say, yes. In God's grace, I've had what it takes. And in God's grace, I have been triumphant. And I can know that I will. So those two strands run through this passage, those two themes. The first of them is, we'll call David equipped and enabled. David equipped and enabled by God. And then the second of them is David victorious over the enemies of God. So David equipped and enabled, that's the first of them. And that is the focus early on in our passage today. And then David victorious, the second of them, that's the focus as you keep going in our passage. So we'll take them in that order as they come before us. So first of all, David equipped and enabled. So he's got what it takes. Listen again, beginning at verse 32, because it's early on in the passage where this really shines forth. Look at verse 32. For who is God but the Lord, and who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of, (coughs) excuse me, a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your gentleness made me great. Now, let me just say this about that last verse in there, verse 36, and that one word gentleness in there. That is one possible way of translating verse 36 to say, Your gentleness has made me great. It's not perfectly clear that that's the best way of translating it. And I mention this because you might have something different in your Bible depending upon the version that you're reading. Some Bible versions have your help. Your help has made me great. Some Bible versions have your answer. In other words... You're answering my plea. The way you've you've heard me and answered me has made me great. All that to say, don't build too much on that one English word, gentleness, which we have in the English Standard Version of verse 36. What's crystal clear, though, is that in these opening verses, David is giving God the credit for equipping and enabling him. David is saying that he's been made great, he's been exalted, he's been lifted up because God stooped down, God reached down, God inclined to him from on high and blessed him. You get another glimpse of this a few verses later in verse 40. David says it again, verse 40, he says, For you equipped me with strength. For the battle, you made those who rise against me sink under me. So in all of this, the point is that God had dealt with David in such a way that David could face what he was up against. David didn't have to be paralyzed by fear. 
David could navigate some tricky terrain. David was equipped and enabled by God. There are three aspects of this, especially, that I want to highlight in what David says. And they are these. Strength, shield, and what we might call sure-footedness. Three S's. Strength, shield, and sure-footedness. Those three. The first of them, by God's grace... David had the strength to fight and endure strength. The second of them, by that same grace, David was armed so as to be protected from those who wanted to do him harm, shield. And then the third of them, by that same grace, David could make his way swiftly and not stumble. Strength, shield, Sure-footedness. And David can say, yes, these things have been and they are true of me in God. And Christian, though I know it doesn't always feel like it, I get it, I get the Christian life. Still, that's a reminder for us, that's a picture for us of what God's grace means to us. What God's grace has done in us. We can say, in Christ... By the Spirit, so spiritually speaking now, in in matters of faith, these three belong to us as well. Strength and shield and sure-footedness. Think about each of them as an aspect of the Christian life. First of all, strength. Remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians toward the end? 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul, feeling his own weakness crying out to God for relief. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 12, But the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul goes on, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And he concludes, For when I am weak, then I am strong. 2 Corinthians 12, That verse always surprises me a little bit. You're expecting, for when I am weak, then Christ is strong. And that's true, but that's not what Paul says. He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Because he makes me strong in the way that I need to be. So it's an unusual kind of strength, isn't it? It's a strength that's perfectly compatible with our own sense of personal weakness. For that matter, it positively arises from that sense of personal weakness. Because it's when we realize that on our own, left to ourselves and our own resources, our own goodness and wisdom and power, we don't have what it takes. It's when we realize that, that we go to God and say, Lord, make me strong. Because only you can. Lord, bless your word in my life today by the power of your Holy Spirit today so that I can make it through this day. And not just make it through and barely survive it. But even rise up on wings like eagles. And while we're at it, speaking of Isaiah 40, listen to Isaiah 40. Because it's there as well. This God who's almighty. 
What does he do with his might? Isaiah 40 says this, well, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah 40. He's almighty and he makes us mighty too. So it's 2 Corinthians 12. It's Isaiah 40. Here's one more. Philippians. This is why I read Philippians 4 earlier in our service. Philippians 4.13 where Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And of course that does not mean all things absolutely. Paul's not saying I can do anything that's conceivably possible in the realm of human achievement. He's not saying that. What he's saying is better than that. What Paul's saying is I can do all that Christ has called me to do. Thanks to his word and spirit in my life today. And, and, and if I meet up with things that I cannot do today. Well at that point what Christ calls me to do is to trust in him that it's okay. And by his grace I can. I can trust in him like that. And if I stumble and fall today. At that point what Christ calls me to do is to trust in him and to repent. And to rise up. And press on, and by his grace, I can do that too. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So strength, that's an aspect of the Christian life. So too the second one, shield. The way our God protects us, the way our God protects us, even right now in ways that we cannot even see. Brings to mind what Paul says in Ephesians, where he's talking about the armor of God. Ephesians 6, verse 16, Paul says this, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Ephesians 6, verse 16. And remember, those flaming darts are lies Lies about God and about ourselves. That's what Satan has to work with. That's what he fires away at us. That's what we need to be protected from, and God does. He protects us, and he does that by working in us a faith that holds on to the truth in the face of those lies that keep coming at us. So shield. And then the third one. Not just strength, not just shield, but also, believe it or not, sure-footedness. I realize each and every one of us is up against things that perplex us. Each and every day we face decisions that are hard, we face challenges that are tricky. And so on one level, it can feel like there are times when we do not know precisely where to place our feet. And it can feel like we're losing our footing. I get it. But Christian, even then, even in those times, even in those perplexing times, there is a wisdom that's ours that nobody can take away from us. There is a know-how that comes from knowing God and from knowing that we can always go to God and trust in His Word. And navigate by that word. That doesn't settle every decision. That doesn't 
unravel every challenge. But it does mean that on the deepest level, we do know. We do know how to get through the terrain of this world to the world to come. And that's the best kind of sure-footedness. And not only that, but it's also the case that with practice, with time and practice and experience, lo and behold, we find that we're better equipped and enabled to traverse those decisions and challenges than we were, say, a few years ago. Our footing gets better. And so we grow more confident as we behold what God has done and is doing in us, as he guides us, as he changes us. I got a a glimpse of this, a picture of this, this past Friday. I had my weekly session with, with my fitness trainer, and at one point she had me doing this particular exercise that had me thrusting one foot behind me, landing on it, and then bringing it forward, bringing the leg up, And then doing it all over again, thrusting the foot back, landing and balancing. And that meant that I had to keep my balance that way. I had to keep my balance that way, even though I couldn't see where my foot was landing behind me. But what I found was that over time, I got better. I got the hang of it. I got more confident. I trusted my balance. I wasn't wavering. I wasn't stumbling, even though I could not see my balancing foot behind me. So's the Christian life. With time and practice and experience, our footing gets better as we make our way across the tricky terrain, including steep mountain climbs, the tricky terrain of this world on our way to the world to come. So yes, Christian, believe it or not, all three of those are true of us too. Strength and shield and sure-footedness. And you understand why all of those things are true of you and available to you. The answer is, Because Christ has them and he shares. Christ is the Savior because he's got all that you need and he shares. He led the way, he went first. On all three of these aspects, Jesus led the way, Jesus went first. So, for example, our first aspect, strength. The Lord Jesus was strengthened by his Father in some pretty remarkable ways. I know this past Thursday, some of you in a Bible study went to the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke chapter 22. Well, let's all go there. Listen to this from Luke 22. Jesus is there in that garden. It says this, He withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David, could say, just like his father David, you equipped me with strength for the battle. 
And there was never battle like that one. So strength, so too our second aspect, shield. The Lord Jesus was shielded by his Father. Jesus himself, trusting in the Father's word, could wield that word as a shield when he needed it. So back up in Luke's gospel from the end almost to the beginning. Luke chapter 4. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Can't you just picture that flaming dart on its way? And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Trusting in that word, he wields that word. And that was just the first of the three. And he knew just how to wield it every time as every one of those deception darts came at him. The son of David, just like his father David, could say, you have given me the shield of your salvation. In Jesus' case, it wasn't salvation from sin, but it was protection from fearful enemies. It was protection by the father's word, and Jesus knew how to trust in that word and to wield it. So strength and shield, and yeah, sure-footedness. The Lord Jesus was made swift and steady by his Father. Just think about those last few days in Jerusalem before he died. When all of his enemies were coming at him from all directions with questions and traps and tricks of all sorts, and one by one he just swatted them away. Made him look silly, swift, and steady in the face of that onslaught. The one about paying the tax and the coin and, and render unto Caesar, that one alone was brilliant. Tricky terrain. Oh, but he knew just how to make his way swift and steady. The son of David, just like his father David could say, he made my feet like the feet of a deer. It was tricky terrain, but he mastered it, and he didn't stumble ever. So in all three of these ways, strength, shield, sure-footedness, Christ went first. And now he shares. From on high, now Jesus pours into your life by word and spirit what he himself has to give. And he does so... As a sympathetic high priest, he has not forgotten. He has not forgotten, even now on high, what it meant, what it involved, what it looked like, what it felt like to be strengthened and guarded and guided by his Father in this world. And now he shares. Now he pours it into your own life. So, Christian, I say to you, be encouraged today. David's poetry isn't just about him. It's also about you. It's also about you because it's about Jesus above all. David, equipped and enabled, strength and shield and sure-footedness and Christian in Christ, you are too. So that's our first heading here this morning. This second one we'll treat At not such length. David victorious, right? Our first one was 
David and equipped and enabled by God. Now our second one following on that is David victorious over the enemies of God. And here, let's pick up at verse 37. Look again at verse 37. Because it's as David goes on that he recounts the victory that he knew. Verse 37, you gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them. I thrust them through so that they did not rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, those who hated me, and I destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with my people. You kept me as the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. Foreigners came cringing to me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. (laughs) David recounting the deliverances that he had known. One thing we need to notice about that part of the passage is that it's not the case that every single detail in that part of the passage applied to every single one of David's deliverances. Remember, at the beginning of this whole chapter, We're told this is a song that David spoke when he was delivered from Saul and all of his enemies. Well, David did not thrust Saul through so that Saul fell at his feet. To the contrary, David resisted the temptation to do just that. And not only that, but at the end of the passage, David's talking about foreigners cringing before him and so forth. Well... It's not the case that all of David's deliverances were from foreigners. He had to be delivered from Saul and from several rebels who rose up from within the ranks of Israel. So it's not the case that every single detail here applies to every single one of David's deliverances. But just remember, this poem may originate from the days of Saul and David being delivered from him. But by the end, this poem's looking back on a whole lifetime of deliverances. And we've seen those rescues ran the gamut. Distant rebels and household troublers and foreign armies and everything in between. So here in this passage, here's David looking back on a lifetime. And as we've seen before, remember, he's doing so as a poet. And we can acknowledge, we can admit, this is stern stuff, the way David talks here. This is David describing his victories poetically in tough terms. Pursuing, destroying, consuming, thrusting through, beating, crushing, stamping down, and those who were not wiped out, they came trembling out to pay homage and make peace. These are tough terms. But let's be clear, they are fair and right 
and true. This is not David as a man who was bloodthirsty and vindictive. This is David as a man who was given over to God and who knew that these enemies of his, they were the enemies of God. David knows what's really going on here. So in verse 42 where it says, They cried to the Lord, that is the true God, but he did not answer them. That's not because they truly loved God the way David did. And they were crying out to the true God with a faith like the faith that David had. No, that's because in their desperation, they were willing to cry out to anyone and anything. But apart from true faith in the true God, and they must have lacked that faith, there was no one who could truly help them. So this is sweeping victory. And this is David the poet caught up in the grandeur and the sweeping completeness of the victory, giving thanks to God. Because his own heart was given over to God. David was a conqueror. And Christian here too. We can make the connection between David and ourselves. Between David's earthly realities and our own spiritual standing. David was a conqueror. Christian, you are too. Paul says in Romans 8, we are more than conquerors. Romans 8 verse 37. In all these things, he says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Victory is ours. Over the enemies of our souls, the world and the flesh and the devil. Victory is ours because we've been brought to life and justified and even brought into the family of God. Victory is ours because we are now being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Victory is ours because in the end Christ is going to come back and finish what he's begun. And speaking of him... Speaking of Jesus, we can make that connection again as well. We are more than conquerors because he was first. Christ has triumphed because he was obedient to the end. Christ has triumphed because he was raised from the dead. Christ has triumphed. Because he reigns now on high with all authority in heaven and on earth. And in that triumph, he will come back and share it all with us. David was triumphant. We are too. We are too because Christ was first and ever shall be. So David, equipped and enabled by God, that was first. David victorious over the enemies of God, that was second. Ultimately, these are true of Christ, and because they are, they're true of us too. To put a bow on all of this, to wrap all of this up this morning, and I will wrap up with this. Take one more glance at our very first verse today, verse 32. Verse 32. Who is God but the Lord, and who is a rock except our God? There's no God like ours. There's no true God except for ours. And that one reality touches down in both of our points today. 
So our first point this morning, there is no other God who equips and enables like ours. In in a world like this one, we all know we need strength to keep going. We need shield, right? We need protection from slings and arrows. And we need sure-footedness. We need to know where to go, where to place our feet on tricky terrain. Christian, where else are you going to go for any of that? There's no other God. And there's no one like Jesus who has all of that to share with you, to pour into your life. And so too, our second point this morning. There's no other God who grants the victory like this. As I was saying when we got started today, deep down we all want to know that in the end it's going to work out. It's going to be better than all right. We all long for that. We all ache for that. We want that that sense of victory, triumph, Christian. Again, I ask you, where else are you going to go for that? That sense of hopefulness about where your life is headed, about where human history is headed. Where else are you going to go? There's no other God. And there's no one like Jesus who has that victory to share with you. So, brothers and sisters, let us rejoice today in Jesus, the son of David. In this face of so much these days, so much in every age, that's stressful and trying and tumultuous, we want to be able to tell ourselves, I've got what it takes to face this, and in the end, it's going to be all right. It's going to be better than all right. And by the grace of the only God that is, and by the ministry of the Son of David who shares, we can. We can tell ourselves those very things and trust that it's true. So let us rejoice and let us pray. Our Lord Jesus, we do fix our eyes on you, our faith eyes today. We thank you that you deal graciously with us so that ours is strength and shield and sure-footedness. These are yours and you share them. We thank you today that you deal graciously with us so that we are more than conquerors. We confess that there are times when we don't Feel it, but as we sang earlier, we would walk by faith and not by sight, not even by natural sense and feeling. We trust that it's true. We are more than conquerors, for you conquered first and now share that victory, and one day we'll bring it to its consummation. Until then, we're pilgrims pressing on. Preserve us as we do so, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.